Well, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? I'm Pablo Santos. I'm the founder and CTO here at Cody Software. We are better known by our product name, which is Plastic SCM. We've been around for about 14 years already, and we develop a, a version control system. So my job here is basically doing, you know, wearing different hats. We are a small company, so I do a lot of uh, product design, some development, a little bit of marketing, and a lot of uh, content writing, which is one of the things I where, where I try to explain what, what we do and try to reach or, you know, try to explain developers what uh, Plastic SEM is and how we develop it and, and so on. So that's a little bit about, about me and all yes. of uh, uh, things uh, like, you know, riding bikes, uh, motorbikes and stuff like that. Oh, motorbikes. Very nice. How many, how many, how many uh, motorbikes do you have? Well, I actually have a couple. I used to have three, but now I have two. And they are both, uh, well, I, I used to do some long traveling and so on. Not mm. anymore since I have a kid for the last, I mean, he's two already. But uh, I still ride uh, sports bikes, like for track days and stuff like that. And I have a couple of them for that. Mm. Well, you can get a little uh, a sidecar. Take, take your, your kid along with you. <laughs> not, sure the, not sure his mom will be so happy. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Well, well what is like, like you, you, uh, you live in Spain, right? Yeah. What's, what's like the European view on uh, motorcycling? And, and as context, you know, back in the U.S., it's sort of like the, uh, the sort of like Harley type of big motorcycle thing dominates so much that I don't think people think about. I mean, there's other very subcultures of motorcycling, but that's sort of like, that's the default assumption that people have. Yeah, well, there there are many different ones here. I mean, it's like okay, you have the the guys with the Harley Davidsons on and so on with their look with their looks and and mm -hmm. all that, but then you have a lot of tourists, like you know, they do long trips with uh, different types of bike, like the big BMWs and well, some others like many other touring touring bikes, right? Then you also have like the dirt bikes where you don't see that often because basically they go on, you know, doing their, their stuff outside right. the cities and so on. And then quite a good uh, number of uh, sport bikes. Although the sports bikes declined a little bit over the years. I mean, when I was a kid, it was like the dominant thing on the street. Now you, you see less and less. But, yeah, there are many different types. Mm. And also I think there's some, there's some uh, especially for the younger people, there's some of these, um, you know, naked bikes, but they are, look like retro, or they, although they are modern and all that, they look really cool, and they are not that much about performance, but they really look like. Oh, yeah. are, are those like so uh, are those yeah. kind of like the stripped down ones that are kind of like Indians or something, and they had like the really low seat or like what? What's a naked bike? It's it's more like a cafe racer or something, mm. racer or something like okay. that. It's more like a old bike without. Well, not old. It might it can be brand new, but you know, without. It looks the, old. The fairing and all that, and just looking like something in the seventies or something like that. Even if it was, if it's a model from from this year, right? But the look and feel is a little bit low, like retro. I would say retro bikes. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. The name. So it's it's a it's a a nice looking mode of transportation, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't have some sort of like sporting utility to it or, or anything exactly. like that. Yeah, exactly. yeah. You can you can ride around looking like uh you know Brad Pitt in a leather jacket. I forget which movie think, that was. There's I think that's that. the thing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, another another thing I thought would be interesting. Uh, I mean, since you've you've, uh, I mean, you run a, a company in Spain. Like, what uh, what's it like to like have a startup and then a company for so long? Like, is there is there any difference, or is this something? Are there interesting advantages or disadvantages to to being in Spain for that? Wow, that's a good question. Well, uh, I think there are 
I mean, the useful thing, I mean, advantages and disadvantages. I mean, I don't know what would be if we were, I don't know, in the Bali or something like that. Yeah. But uh, there are nice things to be to be here too, right? Uh, it's like, um, uh, well, first for all the people who were born here in this area where we, we are lucky enough to do something we love and still live close to our family and friends and so on. So that's yeah. very good. Then in terms of, uh, I mean, from a company point of view, uh, in the area where we are, because we are not uh, in Madrid or Barcelona, which are the two main cities. So we are in a smaller city called Valladolid, right? And, uh, well, probably there's less uh, crazy competition for uh, positions like there might be in some other places, which means it's, uh, it's, it's better in terms of stability, right? So we have uh, team members here which uh, which has been with us from day one and they're still here right and okay i i i, I bet it's because we do well I, I like to think it's because we do a, a good job keeping them happy but also of course it plays a role that it's the the, the competition between companies is not as fierce as it might be in san francisco yeah. or something like that right yeah that's that's like a really uh optimistic way of, of looking at it usually like you know what I would expect people to say is it's hard to find people, but which which could also, but it's also hard to find people everywhere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is what, is what I, I mean, always tell people, and so so then a, hu- a huge difference is like retention ability, like that. That is, yeah. uh, that's that's a, and then even being able to find there's not that competition. So that's that's interesting. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, on, on the downside could be that uh, you know the ecosystem for. Uh, potential customers even because we develop software for developers is smaller than in other areas or even, I don't know, the the network of, well, the, the contents you, you may do in terms of, you know, uh, the startup uh, uh, the, the startup world or something like that is, is smaller. But to be honest, I'm optimistic about that. I mean, I think uh, nowadays uh, we are in a great industry to be because you can develop something as we did, right, in, in a small place yeah. in close to a small city in Spain and uh, have customers all around the world, right? So I think the limitations are more on ourselves, let's say, than or uh, probably our environment. But I'm pretty optimistic anyway. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, well so like you're saying, uh, I, I mean, you know, a large part of, of what y'all do is uh, version control, basically, yeah. <laughs> at, yeah. at your company. And I, I had like I was realizing and like thinking about talking with you. I haven't really like looked into the version control world in a long time. You know, kind mm-hmm. of not so much on the tooling level. That's that's not so much what I mean. It's more of like the uh, how has it evolved as a theory, <laughs> so mm-hmm. to speak. And and so that like that was the first thing I was interested in hearing from you is like so when it comes to developers. Like, mm-hmm. what is, how would you describe, I mean, if you were being kind of like, let's say somewhere between introductory and intermediary, right? Like, like, how would you describe what, how version control contributes to what developers do? And then just to kind of explain my question a little more, like, um, well, maybe you work with plenty of people who this is not obvious to, <laughs> but, okay. but, but the, but the obvious thing to do is when you write code, you should check it in, right? Like you should have version control because it'll uh you know track it for you and back it up and allow you to merge changes but like what are like different ways that people are using version control than just basically checking something in and like syncing code among developers like are, are there any interesting new things they're doing in this area yeah okay well uh i could talk about this for hours obviously because that's my my entire 
life, right? Indeed. That's what I, I, I feel I'm, I'm breathe on a, on a daily basis. So the thing is, okay, yeah, version control is needed even for the smaller development. I mean, maybe 20 years ago, there was people, there were people without any version control. That's not the case anymore. I mean, it's what you, I mean, if, if someone listening is, is new to version control is, okay, version control is the alternative to your good.zip, final.zip, good.good.zip, <laughs> right. this is the real one.zip, right? Or, or having a shared drive where you put stuff and then someone overwrites them, overwrites everything accidentally. The alternative to all, to all that is version control. So the first thing, the first purpose of version control is to keep you safe from overwriting changes. But that's like the foundation. After that, it actually becomes an enabler for teamwork. And of course, I'm biased with all that because it's something that is very exciting to me. I mean, I'm sure for most of the people listening to this, it's okay, version control is boring and making games or artificial intelligence is cool. For me, it's uh, something super good because to me, version control is sort of the operating system of software development, right? Mm. I mean, it's, it's, it's the layer where all the other stuff builds on top. So uh, I always thought, okay, the best thing to do is probably for a developer is, a, is an operating system. I'm just dreaming. And the second best thing is like a version control. So I think I'm, <laughs> I'm doing the second best thing. Of right. course, I said, <laughs> as I said, I'm optimistic. So, so yeah, um, what, what changed? Okay, if, if you look a little bit of the history of, of version control, uh, there was a big revolution around 20, uh, 20, sorry, uh, 2005 when git was born right actually that i mean leon store was is a is a genius and he came up with something super different uh i know those dates very well because that was the time when we were started uh, with plastic scm ourselves right and basically the big change that happened in that generation is that uh, we were all used to work with subversion or cvs or systems that were you know by just checking and you're done so for most of the developers during that generation, version control was a little bit more than, I mean, just a little bit more slightly than a delivery mechanism. Right. So it's, it wasn't something you really enjoyed using or gave you that much advantage. Uh, it was just something to deliver stuff. Of course, I'm, you know, it's more than that. And I'm sure people using subversion by the time. Uh, will say, okay, there are many other advantages of, uh, you know, using C files, of course, uh, but I'm, I'm trying to just summarize a little bit. Yeah, yeah. What happened is when the new generation of version controls came up, uh, they popularized, they democratized somehow branching and merging. And that's key for collaboration. I say that because there were some big enterprise systems like ClearCase uh, that was already very good with branching, even in the, I don't know, in the 90s, right? But it was super hard to use. It wasn't popular enough, although it was used by lots and lots of people. If, if it wasn't like super well set up, it was a pain to use and slow and all that. So it, it, it grow, I mean, it, it creates some, you know, bad press, let's say, or bad feeling among yeah. developers. But then Git and the distributed version control systems came, and we are part of that revolution with Plastic SEM ourselves. And... Uh, it changed the mind of developers. So in five years, we went from branching and merging is nightmare and you should skip it at all cost to embrace branching, embrace merging, embrace working distributed, embrace uh, you know pull requests. And that changed the landscape of software development, right? And um, well, that's probably how, how it evolved. And after that, 
there have been all the tweaks and improvements here and there and we are you know we we are completely focused on on that i mean we are every single month coming up with new things and new ideas one of our obsessions at this point is what we call uh, what there are a few things we are super focused on but one of them is what we call semantic version control which is what if your version control can understand uh, your code i'm not thinking about uh, artificial intelligence or something like that. Right, it's right. more about, okay, I know a function is a function. I know a method is a method. I know a class is a class. So I can do some pretty nice things with that. And we put a lot of effort into that area and uh, develop different merge tools that actually can show you if you move a function from one location to another. So I think this is going to be part of the great future we are going to see in version control tools oh yeah yeah you know i i stopped programming in like uh 2006 so i'm sort of right right on that the the edge of that that big change and like uh yeah like moving a method around was always annoying then because <laughs> it wasn't actually new code right like as as some tools would tell you it's just you move the location of it which uh exactly. would have sped things up a lot if it understood that and then and then so so going back just a little bit so like how so you know I I remember the the late nineties when branching was um, scary, yeah, <laughs> or may, maybe scary is the wrong word, but it was considered like an expert level thing to be able to manage branches effectively and merge them together and like all that kind of stuff. And so like what what about the nature of like distributed version control like addressed that scariness? Like why is yeah. why why is following a, a distributed method easier less confusing less bad <laughs> to unnuance it uh well it, than branches. It, it scary is actually a very good word to to describe what most people felt uh, how they felt about branching and merging and, and and so on right and the nice thing th- there's a nice story here right uh distributed version control made branching and merging popular but a, a lot of people thought okay in order to do good branching and merging and skip this sort of issues you had before, like you rename a file on one branch and then you merge it back and then you get a name or something like that. Uh, actually, distributed did a very good job in, in implementing that correctly. So everyone got in their minds, good branching and merging is equal to distributed, but that's not true, right? Um, the thing is that uh, what, what Git uh, did is evangelize uh, uh, or teach to a whole generation of developers that they can do a, a better way than the previous systems did, right? Mm-hmm. And that's pretty good. But in the essence of, of it, and that's something we do with our own system, it's not really tied to the fact of being distributed, right? I mean, you can do good branching and merging even if the system is completely central. In fact, with our own product, with Plastic, you can work in Git mode or in subversion mode. And in both cases, you have full branching and merging power without all the issues, right? Mm. The thing is that um, when Git came, they simply implemented everything in a different way and they implemented correct merge tracking, which is probably going a little bit more technical than needed, but it's about really knowing if you merge something, having the information to track why this merge happened in terms of the operations itself. So you repeat the merge, you don't redo again the same operations. All right. And then you know... Uh, w- when you merge a file, you know there are three contributors to that, like your changes, my changes, and how the file was before that. That's the key for merge, and that's something Git and all the uh, new version control systems, including our own, do super well. 
Right. And that's the super huge difference. The thing is that it came at the same time as distributed, and many people start thinking, okay, that's a, it's the same thing, but it's actually not exactly. Right. So, yeah. And, and and then and then I mean, one thing you were saying, uh, well, there's the tooling, of course, but then also there was a lot of uh, education about. Um, I don't know, a refined way to use version control, <laughs> right? Absolutely. Like, like here's the, here's the approach or, or, I mean, that, that's kind of what I meant initially about like theory of how to, I don't know a better word for that, but how to use it. And, and that reminds me of one thing, like, uh, I haven't daydreamed about this in, in a while, but I, but you seem like you would have an interesting take on it. Like, so if we go to, uh, let's say pre-distributed version control, the pre 2005, like mm-hmm. if I want to do contribute either internally, if I want to do apply a patch or I wanted to contribute new code to a open, an open source project, mm-hmm. like I think what I do is, is to some extent I would send like diffs, like I would use subversion or CVS to print out those diffs uh, that, that were in there. And then that's exciting. But like in, in the, in the distributed version control, like you're saying, you, you more like submit like pull requests or a different sort of thing. And like, it seems like it seems like the second way of doing it is somehow better <laughs> or yeah. or it's more open but I don't really understand the technical details of how that's more open and better and so I wonder if if you have an explanation for that if if my assumption is correct Okay yeah you're correct I mean the the thing is uh what's the delivery mechanism for your change in the old subversion days okay you could be uh directly connected to the to the central server right. and then just do a checking or something but or, or a merge or something but uh, the delivery mechanism you were describing was something like okay create a patch and send it by email with all the new systems what you do is really use the system for that I mean you are not relying on a, you know sending an email with a zip or with a patch or something like that uh, and your code there you're actually using the system itself I mean when you submit a pull request to GitHub you are already a user of GitHub and you right. have your own repository. And then the, the system, the, the, the version control, actually, Git in this case, is in charge of the delivery process. It means it tracks all the individual changes. So it's not like, okay, when did you create that patch? It's something you, you, you will have to enter manually before those days, right? Like, okay, yeah. enter some information in the checking or the commit or something saying, okay, it was delivered by Michael and this and that, right? But now it's something that is part of the system itself. And that's the, the biggest advantage. I mean, and, and some people might say, okay, you could do that already with the older systems. Yes, but because of this lack of a strong branching and merging, it was not the case that often. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you would have to, at the very least, set up an account in the old way of mm-hmm. doing things and probably get it approved by someone. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, not to mention, like, someone has to set up and maintain the servers. <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. which were always which was always a uh, was a hassle. Well, well, so yeah, no, that makes sense. And and then so what? Uh, like, how would you describe what? Uh, I don't know if you would call it a suite or a portfolio, but like, what's what's plastic? Like, what are the different areas of it, and what's what's okay. uh, y'all's take on doing version control? Okay, uh, plastic SCM, plastic for short, is the is the version control we do. So you can think of it as a, you know. Like uh, the, the same way you think on Git or Perforce or Subversion is, is, is one alternative. The thing is that we focus on making it super easy to use. It's super strong with big files, so it's uh, very well accepted in 
in I mean very, very adopted in in the gaming industry because they have large assets and all that it's super strong with branching and merging and we provide like all the tools in the package I mean if you go for git you get by bare git and okay you can submit stuff to github but locally you you probably will need a GUI if you don't want to go just for the command line or you need a diff tool mm. to see the diffs colored and this kind of this stuff or you need a three-way merge tool right with plastic we just give you all the tools we develop the entire stack right all the tool sets so it's, it's like a complete stack and then we focus on certain things like as i said big files super big repos we have many customers with repositories that are bigger than four five six terabytes and or, or, or even bigger right so because you can put basically everything into plastic, it's not like, okay, only code and then different assets on a different system. No, we can just store everything, right? So that's one of the things that makes it super important. And, and, and so, so, to, so to interrupt you, I mean, when, uh, so what, what's, the, what's the big deal with like supporting big files? Like is that, why, why is that a difficult thing that's worth pointing out? Well, I think it's more a design decision, right? I mean, I, I wouldn't say, I, I could say now, okay, because we are super smart and we did it this way, but that's not <laughs> real. I mean, the, the thing right. is that we designed it from day one to handle big files. And the guys in Git, for instance, didn't follow that path because it said, okay, that this, I mean, Git was born initially to handle the, the kernel, right. the, the Linux kernel. And it's not that a big uh, repository, right? It's like about, uh, I don't know, 70,000 files or something like that, or maybe a little bit more right now, but not that big. And uh, in terms of big files, they don't have many, right? So it's not a big repo per se. So they focus on that and they did a pretty good job there or super good job, but uh, they never put, uh, I mean, it, it was not their intention or their goal to to, to do things like, okay, let's handle right. a checking, I mean, a, a file of, I don't know, 500 megs or one gig or two gigs. And, and so, or, so it, there just might be thing. like a sort of like a max limit on, on files for, for whatever reason. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, but it's, instead it's you can focus thing, on huge, right? huge so, files. Exactly. And, and from day one, we thought, okay, let's do it good for big files and, and big repos because it's not, it's not exactly the same thing, right? I mean, you, you might be able to check in, a, a, I don't know, one terabyte, well, one terabyte is probably too much, but one gigabyte file or something, <laughs> which right. is a little bit crazy, but it can happen in some data for some big data stuff on things like that. Or you can have lots of smaller files, but zooming up to a super huge repo, right? Both cases are pretty much covered by us. I mean, that's our job, basically. Yeah. And then, as I said, we developed the, the entire stack. So we provide GUIs and we provide very nice visualization. We're super proud of something we call the, the Branch Explorer, which is a way to really navigate your repositories on a visual way. We have that for Linux, Mac, and Windows. And, uh, you know, native clients on, on all, all those platforms. And that's one of the things we like the, the, the best, I will say, because uh, you can actually create your branches on a visual way. You can merge your branches from an interface which normally resembles the kind of graphics you, you draw on a whiteboard to explain to the team what's going on. So these are some of the of the things, right? And after that, and I think uh, we can cover that um, on uh, uh, soon, is um, we focus a lot on being an enabler of the entire DevOps process, right? And that's that's one of the other things. So in short, think of it like a plastic is like a git on steroids able to do better merging with GUIs, inc GUIs included and then also ready for big files and super big projects. So that's it, right? If, if your needs are on that area, I mean, if you really need any of those features, then Plastic is very good for that. 
And and y'all have like your own. I don't know what the terminology for this is, but the core engine <laughs> and and server. Like you don't do do you or do you layer on top of something else, or do you have your own? That's a very good engine. question. Yeah, we we build it from scratch. I mean, uh, it's not. I mean, plastic is not like based on Git or or based on any other system. We we build the entire stack, which is uh, okay. It's, it's a little bit crazy in in one sense, but it gives us uh, a lot of opportunities to actually tweak this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. To, to to tweak this thing about big files and repos and performance. I mean, we're super fast, and uh, that's uh, one of the reasons because we can actually tweak the entire thing, right? So. In other cases, for instance, if you think of some of the other repository providers out there, they are all based on Git, on the foundation, which is good because they benefit from each other's efforts, but they are also limited by the same restrictions because they are slightly hard to break, right? For instance, this yeah. big file thing on, on, and stuff like that. There are, there are patches here and there like LFS and other things that Git users will be familiar with, but they are, you know, they are not really design changes. I mean, Suppose when we are coding, we we are we we own the entire stack. So if we need an an operation in the GUI and we need something faster in the core or different in the core, we just can go and and do it very easily because okay, we are not like breaking compatibility or something like that yeah. because we own the entire thing. That's, that's yeah, yeah. I I, I I I always think there. I mean, there's a concept of like a a leaky abstraction, which is like if you yeah. look at a, if you look at a piece of software as a like a vertical stack, you know. In many cases, you don't want some change at the very bottom of your stack to leak all the way up to the top yeah. <laughs> and, and, unless you want it to. But then there's almost like a positive version of that, like you were just going over. is exactly. like, I guess maybe it's a trickle-down abstraction that if we want to change something at the top layer with the UI yeah. and it requires changing something at the bottom, it would be nice if we could do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and what I mean by by we own the stack is not uh, is not uh, comparing the commercial versus open source something like that. When, what I mean is, as developers, uh, we are in control of the entire stack right. uh, ourselves. That's that's what I, I like to highlight, right? And as you said, okay, there are times when you have a very nice abstraction and you don't need to touch anything, but there are other times when you can tweak something for a specific things or to adopt. Or to help a new industry to to come aboard or stuff like that. For instance, plastic is fully interoperable with Git. It means we speak the, the Git network protocol. So you can use plastic as a client of a Git server. So oh, you right. can push and pull to GitHub and, and GitHub doesn't know whether you are really Git or is plastic and vice versa. We use uh, a plastic server can act as a Git server. So you can use a Git client and so on. This normally is used for transition. Like, okay, we have some teams mm -hmm. moving outside Git and come into plastic, and then part of the tools still speak the, the Git protocol, so we just support that, or some team members prefer to use Git for whatever reason, although we are more on that side of things. I mean, we really want developers to use plastic because that's what where the value is. It's not just a server-side technology, right? But still, during transitions and migrations and, you know, interrupt with other teams, we speak the same language. What I mean is that we can tweak our own protocol to make it closer to Git, and then, uh, you know, make everything easier instead of adding another layer on top and this kind of stuff. It's, right, it's more... right. And, 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 then, and then, like you're saying, I mean, I mean, part of the So part of it is, is the engine, if you will. And then you yeah. have uh, several, uh, you know, UI tools, especially, especially doing things like, uh, you know, triple merges and, and uh, visualization. Like, it seems like, you know, I, I, find, I find this uh, uh, in, in my, my, my day job with Pivotal, like, we have yeah. we have a GUI for things, uh, and you could do whatever whatever you could do on the command line in the GUI 
Exactly. But inevitably, developers all use the command line. <laughs> basically. Yeah. And, but it does seem like it does seem like inversion control. It's probably more popular, at least for visualizing things, not to use the command line, right? Like especially when you're merging things, like visual stuff seems a lot more handy. Than, uh, it, than it really depends, right? I mean, there are, there are always different types of developers, and some of them will be always used in the command line. But as you pointed, there are a few operations where you really want to GUI. For instance, during merge, uh, when you are merging something that is slightly complicated, okay, just relying on a unified default put and then modifying symbols on a Beam editor is not as good as running, for instance, KD3 or WinMerge, which are two popular merge tool, right? Okay, we provide or we provide our own, which is uh, comes in the package, which, okay, we put a lot of effort to make it even better, we think, that's biased, of course, than others. And uh, objectively, we add new features, like being semantic, like uh, we understand the code. So if you move a method to a different location, you can diff it and understand it was moved instead of just seeing added and deletions. And when you merge it, you can merge stuff into the moved code coming from different locations. Like you, you move a method to a different location, I modify it on my branch, we merge them together, and the method goes to your location, mm. plus my changes. And that's something that is pretty much unique in our products. And so so how, do, how does that work? Like what, how do you, I mean, I, I guess from a high level, if you're doing semantic stuff, you need to identify the semantic components. <laughs> yeah. But, but like what's, I mean, how would you describe the way that it works beyond the effect that it has? Like, At, at the end of the day, it's, it's quite simple. What we do is what, I mean, if you ask a programmer uh, how merge and div should work, they, they will probably tell you, okay, they should parse the code first to understand right. the structure, right? That's what we do. The thing is that we are probably the only maker, the, the only product maker doing that in the industry so far, right? So we basically parse the code calculate the diffs based on that so we know you don't have to match line by line anymore. We, ha- we also have the algorithms to do that because that's how we started too. But now we added on top the, 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 the feature to actually know the structure of the code so you match method per method instead of line per line or class per class, stuff like that. And then in the merge, it's, it's, it's mostly the same technique. The details are much more complicated than that, but the, the from, a, from, a, from a, I don't know, 3,000 miles uh, overview, uh, what you get is really that, right? Like, okay, we have a merge tool, which is like a traditional one, but decorated with the uh, semantic information, so it knows when things move around and yeah. so on. And we can even do it across files, right? Like, you move a method to a different file, and we can still merge it, and that's something our products can do. So it's all about parsing. The the downside of this approach is that um, we have a, we have regular different merge tools just based on text, and so they are programming language agnostic. We have that. That comes in the package. But then we add the semantic on top. So for the language we support, the languages we support, we add this feature. The, the downside of the semantic approach is you need a specific support for every language because it's not the same to handle that in C++ than C Sharp, than Java, or C. That's the only thing. Most of the, of the core is the same, but you need to parse right. each language, which is just a addition you have to make. Yeah, and then I imagine, well, what's like the, when you're doing semantic merge stuff or detection or whatnot, like what's the smallest unit you can identify? Like, is That's it- actually a super good question because, um, okay, that's a very good question. Uh, we are normally asked, okay, but what happens if I, uh, if I have an if 
and you have and you put an else or if I have a four and you change by a well, okay, we don't <laughs> enter at that level. Right. What we do is to treat. I mean, the, the, the smallest unit we u- unit we use is normally the method body or the declaration body, function body, property body. Depends on the language, right? But it's the body itself. We treat the body as text. So if you move a function to a different location and I modify the function, I know I have to merge the body of that function. Right. And then we apply a regular text algorithm on it. I mean, we don't go as crazy, not so far, uh, as actually trying to add to identify the meaning of the action or the intention of the method and then being able to merge it. No, it's, yeah. it's much more robust than that. And otherwise the complexity will explode and we'll, we will come up with a close to impossible to solve. Yeah. And, and, and then also like, I mean, you'll get into areas that are highly ambiguous about what you should do. Like if I, if exactly. I change, if I change the name of a variable and like, semantically it's the same thing so to speak but i've just changed the name then like what do you do because probably if i've changed the name of the variable i like want to change the name like i you know it's not just like moving a function around so it is that that does make sense so basically i mean just stop at the higher level and yeah yeah basically at the method level or like like you said the body level like if there's a there's a block of code that that you can kind of tell is a block and then and then you'll kind of You'll be able to understand how that moves around and how that might uh, exactly. just because it moves, it won't like cause a diff necessarily to happen. But then you just take whatever's inside that block of code and then you just do standard uh, Absolutely. version control and, text. And the thing is that it's, it's surprisingly, surprisingly uh, okay, when we find a, 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 an operation like this, like um, a part of the code was moved to a different location or something like that, we call it a semantic diff or a semantic merge conflict, right? Mm. And surprisingly, even in projects where people don't have this technology to merge, that happens quite often. I say surprisingly because people normally try to avoid that situation actively. Like, okay, I don't refactor and clean up my code because otherwise during merge is going to be a nightmare, right? (laughs) Yeah. But even though, even in that situation, we still detect a lot of cases. And I say that because we, we did what we call a merge rerun or replay, which is we downloaded a few thousand repos from GitHub and then redo or redid actually all the merges, right? Mm. Through our technology. And we found that around 20 to 30% of, of branch merges, like pull requests, think of pull requests that normally need manual intervention can be done automatically with our technology. Oh, right. By doing semantic right? stuff on it instead of exactly. just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, th- this number goes for the, f- for the entire branch, the entire pull request. I mean, whether I can merge it completely or not, if I have 10 files and one of them cannot be automated, then I fail, right? Yeah. If you go to the file per file basis, which is something you do on a, you can do also with our files, then the number goes higher to 50 or 60% or something like that. Like, it's a big number. I mean, you really feel that you reduce a lot of manual intervention. I mean, there are things that are fully automatic that you don't really need to bother you to to solve it. I mean, the system wouldn't need to bother you that this technology can solve, right? So we are very happy with that. Yeah, no, it's interesting because then that, that adds another, like, like as uh, it, it adds another thing of, like, how version control tools can, like, change the way you do development. Like, analogously, uh, like, you know, unless... So refactoring sounds really cool. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it sounds optim- like a, a way to make your code better. And one, you have to have, like, tests and unit tests to make sure it's safe yeah. right so that's one technology that's good to have and if it's hard to do unit testing so you don't do it as much as you should you won't refactor as much because you won't have 
that. Absolutely. And and then similarly, like as you're saying, like another reason you may not refactor or even redesign things is you'll be like, oh, I'm going to have to spend like a week merging all of this. <laughs> and so, and exactly. so like as, as you make those underlying like tool things easier, it, you know, encourage it, it opens up doing all sorts of other things that you might uh, stop yourself from doing, which, which is a nice, I don't know. It's a nice benefit that from an otherwise sort of lower level for some people, boring part of the, of the, the stack. For, for them Absolutely. Yeah. As you mentioned, this, this is an enabler. I mean, it's a tool at the end of the day. So it's something, it depends on how you use it, but it enables you to, to, to do more things. I mean, it's like, of course, if you have unit tests, then you are safe to refactor. Of course, no version control will ever protect you from that. But with our contribution in, in this area, we help you a little bit more yeah. uh, adopt best practices. And that goes into, into uh, that, that goes uh, directly into one of the other things that that are big for us, which is uh, DevOps, right? Um, we try to, I mean, we, we have this vision, right? Like, uh, okay, when you think about implementing DevOps, especially especially in the more, let's say, development part side of things, which which, which is where uh, version control operates, right? Not about only the deployment side of things and so on. But when you talk about the development, there are many things you can do to help uh, achieving a, a, a successful DevOps strategy. I mean, DevOps, or understanding is, and I think it's quite widely understood in this way, is, uh, okay, it's a set, it's, a, it's, it's about having a continuous flow of tasks, uh, and, and you, you, there can be bug fixes, new features, whatever, right? But a continuous flow of tasks getting to production on a really quick way, right? Right. And correctly test it and validate it and, and making sure that that's stable, right? So it's a continuous flow of, of a stable changes. This is where we we, we want to provide uh, uh, more help to, for teams, right? And in Plastic, it's uh, very natural to implement something we call task branches, which are super short-lived branches, nothing to do with feature branches. They are short-lived branches. And those branches normally live for a few hours or at most 10 hours or maybe two days. And, and, and then we hit this scrum limit of not having tasks longer than 16 hours or something like that. <laughs> right, right. right. So, Plastic is super good doing that because it can handle it can handle thousands and thousands of, of branches. And then the next thing is how you merge those branches, how you handle the merge of those branches. I mean, okay, they are code reviewed, then they are uh, validated by someone if that's in the in the in the process. They run tests. Normally, traditionally, the burden of this uh, went into the continuous integration uh, tools, right? And now, most of the modern CI tools or their modern incarnations or the modern versions, I would say, support support branches. But a few years ago, that was not the case because CI was developed uh, with a single branch in mind. Like, mm. okay, every single change to, new, to, the, to the main branch or something gets tested and then deployed and so on. But world changed. And now more and more people are working on small, super short-lived branches. And then CI systems had to cope with that. And some of them do it in some in a way and some in another, right? And our vision was, okay, as version control developers, version control makers, we should help users uh, implementing all that. So instead of just delegating the entire burden on the CI system, like, okay, that's not our job, just, okay, uh, it's not our problem. We actually took responsibility of that and created what we call the merge bots, which is, um, you know, it's a bot. Uh, that monitors your repository and when it finds a branch met certain conditions, it will trigger the build on the build system. 
What we mean by that is we can do amazing things like being consistent independently of the CI system you use in how you build and test a branch. For instance, many CI systems test a branch before it gets merged. So it means you are testing code that is not really the code that is going to be after you merge it, right? Some of them them solve it by rerunning the test, but that's an impact in performance. Some others checking to main or commit to main in jargon and then run the test. It means you can break the build because you can you, you first commit the, the code and then you test. So if it's broken, you already have to do a, you know, like a removal of that code. What we implemented is a way in which you do the merge, put that merge in a temporary storage handled by plastic. We call it a shelf, but it's a, I mean, it's like a, let's say, a temporary commit or temporary change that in our, in our jargon. And then you submit that to the CI system. It gets test, it, get, it gets built, tested, and so on. And if everything goes right, uh, the system, the merge bot is going to be monitoring that, and it will say, okay, now I can confirm it. And that's how we implemented the entire DevOps strategy. And uh, the nice thing is that merge bots are, it's a concept that, I mean, uh, you can think of it, and it was our main motivation, as a way to automate the integrator role. I mean, in many teams, especially large ones, they had a role of the integrator. Sangwang getting responsibility of doing all the merges. So you free developers, individual developers for doing the merge, and you have someone in charge, like actually making sure nobody touches the main branch uh, in a wrong way or something like that. Merge bots basically automate that part. And they are running in the background, making sure everything flows. You can think of it, I mean, since uh, most, most people will be used to, to GitHub, for instance, these days you have to still hit the merge pull request button because it's there and someone has to hit it to actually do the make the merge happen. Suppose there will be a bot in the background deciding, okay, this branch was already reviewed, it was approved, so okay, let's try to merge it, run the test, and if everything goes well, goes fine, confirm the test, confirm the the, the merge. Sorry, mm. and uh, that's it, right? That's yeah, that's, yeah uh, I guess. But well, well, what are the things? that can trigger something like that happening. Like for, you know, for example, kind of as you were saying, maybe at some point you someone does a code review of your stuff and then they change the field of like reviewed and good. And then that seems like something that would trigger merging it in so you don't have to do it super exactly. manually. But I don't know. There's probably many other things. That's just some cheesy example I came up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually the the, the exact thing uh, I described, right? The, the the perfect summary. I mean, it's like, it's actually like a, a a way to trigger things, so the system itself and the version control in this case uh, helps the team implement the the strategy by moving things forward on a continuous basis. I mean, it's like okay, instead of relying to, uh, on a only the CI system monitoring the version control and figuring out whether when there's something new and then different systems have a different background and things work differently. What we provide to our users in Plastic is okay. You can just simply have your bot uh, and, uh, and and perform this. It will perform these operations mm-hmm. for you. We provide a few, uh, let's say, standard ones, but they are we provide the code, so it's very simple to just simply go and modify them and do something different. For instance, uh, some some more intermediate steps or launching builds in parallel or, uh, you know, having, uh, you know, notifying to this system or this other. I mean, we provide ways to to notify to systems like Slack or email or reopen a, an issue in Jira, for instance, or something like that if something fails. But it's very easy to simply plug your own 
notifier or something like that, and mm. as we call it, and, and do more things or even modify the body itself. And and That's, then do you, do you have do you have, I mean are are people using uh, y- y'all stuff for like version controlling operational things like configuration and I don't know depending on what they're doing, but basically like the kind of stuff that an operations person would do in configuration and release yeah. management. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, at the beginning, I said we are more on the dev side of DevOps, let's say, although everything is connected, of course. But yeah, we have some customers using it for, you know, versioning the entire orchestra- orchestration thing and so on. But to be honest, most of our customers are more on the development side of things, although they are, you know, strongly connected to the rest of the cycle because there's no other way these days if you really want to achieve yeah. uh, a continuous flow of changes, right? But um, normally where we shine is really helping developers to be more productive on a daily basis and teams to cooperate better. I mean, that's where we really shine. It's more, it's more a tool that you use on a daily basis, you yeah. touch on a daily basis than just an, well, not just, but than an orchestrator. Yeah, you know. yeah. I, I mean, you were making me think of that because I've noticed, uh, I don't know, I've noticed over the years the idea of if I have some production configuration stuff, well, I mean, this is kind of one of the DevOps sort of like things that you would do is I, I treat all that configuration and all that stuff like the code and I check that in and track it as well, which which is fine. But then like thinking of what you could do with a merge bot and things like that, like it does seem like there might be types of operational things that you don't yeah. normally think about kicking off an automated test for, but you might change around and it would be nice to like test it <laughs> like yeah even if you're just the, changing a port around or like a certificate or just something like that yeah it would be in the and same the, way that you would get that benefit in the development area by changing some code by changing some configuration it would be interesting to see if you automated uh doing a whole build and test and putting it in the pipeline and everything yeah and the good thing here that we see as uh version control developers is that tools are more and more version control friendly over the years, and, and, and right now, every new technology is super friendly because normally they all have a textual representation. So mm. it seems that the the, the days with uh, the days with uh, you know proprietary uh, formats that no one could read except your tool are starting to to, to be gone. Right? I mean, if, if you think at uh, I don't know how AWS orchestrates stuff or CloudFormation on all these uh, all these technologies to actually run. Um, and uh, set up uh, hardware configurations on the cloud and so on. They are all they they all have text representation yeah. scripting or JSON configuration files or whatever that are super natural to handle inversion control. So, so what you what you said makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and then it would be interesting to apply like the semantic thinking to like Absolutely. operational stuff of like this configuration hasn't so much changed as like it's moved to a new like I don't know Kubernetes thing. Right. Like so. So we if if the if the chunk in the body, like if if we're just moving some configuration from I don't really know my terms very well from one cluster to another or one pod to another, we just it it would be better just to know that we moved it than to think of this as like a brand new type of configuration uh, tracking things around. Yeah, there are some customers since we provide ways to actually develop uh, to plug uh, custom parsers. We have some customers, uh, and we we share some of the experiences on, on our blog and so on, but uh, we have some who already developed um, 
their own parsers to, to mm. connect to plastic and or diff tools and, and so on, their own, uh, you know, their own formats or even uh, formats that we didn't support yet or they are specific to, to some other areas, as, as you mentioned, right? So, yeah, that's, that's, that's a natural evolution, I think. I mean, uh, one of the nice things, and of course, that's something everyone has in mind, right? But the nice thing is that now the same tools you use to code, you, you can get advantage of them in, in, in different areas, like you mentioned, though. And, uh, and take advantage of having powerful diff tools or merge tools and stuff for things that simply you you, you weren't able to do before. And, and all thanks to this uh, different view you yeah. know, that and, the DevOps brought. And, and then I suppose, I mean, just to talk out loud, another example in like gaming, if if you had yeah. a parser, let's see. So if like the visu- the the modeling file for like what someone, some character's outfit looked like is text, I guess. Then, then you could also do some semantic thing of like uh, we moved this I don't know shirt from one character to the other, and like we understand all we're yeah. doing is moving a shirt. This isn't like a whole bunch of new code for or, or shirtages <laughs> for, for the other yeah, character. You you hit uh, another interesting thing here because uh, we still didn't release it, but we have we, we've been working on a, on a semantic diff and merge tool for Unity. Right, so they All have right. some some of their own stuff, and that's one of the reasons why we didn't push that hard for it because users already benefit from what they have. But uh, we have our own implementation for that, and uh, it's able to. I mean, many of the conflicts that uh, Unity developers get into scene files and prefabs and stuff like that can be fully automated. Mm. Also, in, in in the gaming industry, it's very common to have proper. Uh, uh, custom uh, formats that put together like triangles and textures and, and all that and they pack them pack them together in, t- in some specific format formats and it's very very simple to to actually create custom visualizers for that like your studio uh, use this format that is uh, for their particular engine or something like that and they put this stuff together so it's very easy to hook uh, a visualizer in, in plastic to actually be able to show you this uh the diffs on those files on a more understandable way instead of just saying okay files are different mm. and one of the things we mentioned a couple of times is like uh doing code reviews and uh mm-hmm. like uh i mean that's another interesting example of like the theory behind a tool like one of my uh one of my friends from high school uh, uh jason cohen like he he uh he wrote some book way back when about distributed code uh, the, the book of code reviewing and because mm-hmm. uh, he he uh he was the guy who started Smart Bear, so he had a bunch yeah. of code reviewing tools. And it was like, I would never expect that like there's a whole book on code reviews. <laughs> but but it was it was a fun little book. And then so but but a lot of code reviewing is done like um face to face, right? Just because it's kind of easier to do that. And so I wonder like the ability to do uh let's not even call them distributed but sort of like remote or asynchronous code reviewing asynchronous yeah it seems like it's improved a lot and like how do how do y'all help out with that like how does how does someone yeah. do like an asynchronous code review yeah that's super important i mean by the way i, I have this book uh from your colleague so yeah it's it's very good and his tools are super good too uh the thing is um product i mean while we have a uh, you know, chat systems and all that, uh, most of the productivity uh, relies on keeping people focused on on what they are working on without interruptions, right? And minimizing interruptions. 
and then uh, code reviews compete for this attention. So it's like, okay, I finish a task, I just go for the next one, someone has to review my task, but it doesn't mean when I'm done with my task, someone else is ready to review it because it might be 20 minutes later or something like that. So enabling the, pro- the, 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 the process of doing that in an asynchronous way on a very rich uh, way too, it's very valuable in terms of productivity. Of course, the ideal would be, okay, you just sit with someone else, explain the changes he goes through, he goes or she goes through them and, and you're done. But it means you have to, to, to sing the people to do the same operation at the same time. And that's normally counterproductive, right? So yeah, all the tools we provide, like the diff, the semantic diff, uh, having good annotations on that. And even most of the work we, we, we want to do in the next... Um, releases over this year uh, focus around code reviews and make them making this process of a synchronous code review more and more productive. I mean, one of the biggest uh, uh, problems in a synchronous code review is you, you go and open a diff and you find, I don't know, 85 files modified. And then you just go and grab a coffee because, okay, okay, after the coffee, I'll, I'll take a look because you are <laughs> right. psychologically put off. I mean, it's like, Mm, too many files to, to, to check. The things we are developing and how semantic fits here and how the visualization hit, fits here and the entire plastic ideas are about actually breaking this uh, this uh, way in which you are, I don't know, uh, demotivated from doing that. How? Yeah. Suppose you see a, a 50, uh, the list of 50 files, but the system already tells you, you know what? From these 50, 42 just contain changes in format or changes in the in the import section of the Java files or the include of C or, you know, uh, then you only have to really review eight. Only adding the small intelligence to the process, and that's something we do with Semantic already, it gives you, it, it actually breaks the this, this psychological barrier of saying, mm, too much to review. You actually end up that from these 50 files, only eight really deserve attention. So whether... Even if you look at the others quickly, you, you you break the entire thing, right? And this small thing, I think, will really help uh, developers be more effective with reviews. And that's one of the things we have. Uh, I mean, we ha- we already have some some of this with the semantic stuff and so on, and we uh, we plan to continue on that. Yeah, it se- it seems like when it comes to developer tools, I mean, just as a rule of thumb, like if you want to. Uh... A feature is implemented well in a developer tool if it's more interesting than getting coffee, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, like if, or or to put it another way, right? Like if uh, the the people will go get coffee at at for, with any excuse. <laughs> so if it looks like something's going to take a long time or but, be tedious, but it's really they'll detach it, from it. it. It's really about not breaking the flow. I mean, if, exactly. if you are, I mean, you you can, I mean, as a developer, of course, you, you'll 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 take a break several times during the day, but the things you choose when that happens, you feel like stopping, then you stop, but the tool shouldn't force you or encourage you to stop because you find something that is super boring or, I mean, it should help you actually doing your job better, right? And the entire thing of this code review, diff, semantic, goes in that into that direction. And the entire thing of the merge bots is exactly the same. I mean. Why is it important to automate up to 30% of the, of, the, of the pull requests? Why is that important? It's not just about the time you save. 
that's that's a point, right? But okay, yeah, you don't have to do it manually. That's good. But the thing it's about uh, the context switches. I mean, you remove many of the context switches. So as a developer, if your branch cannot be merged automatically, it means someone tells you, hey, you should go and, and, and do a merge manually so the system can merge it, right? And it yeah. means you are working on something, you have to stop, you have to switch context, you have to work on something else and then go back. If you remove 20% of those switches, you get a lot of added productivity and happier people too, right? Because uh, developers really want to get, I mean, they, they want, we love as developers, this feeling of achievement, of, of, of completing things. I mean, we hate days that are full of meetings or full of, okay, I didn't do nothing today. I mean, I didn't do anything today because I wasn't able to progress with this or that because I got so many interruptions. That's the entire thing of our philosophy, I mean. Yeah, it's yeah, about- no, it's it's a it's a good uh well, it, it, to put it another way, it's like you want to be able to maintain focus or the negative version of that is limit distractions. And to the point of like, I mean, I guess there's probably more than two, but the way yeah, that but- pe- people mostly talk about optimizing a process is to like speed up the components of it, but kind of like you're saying the other yeah. way to optimize a process is figure out when you get distracted from it <laughs> and reduce yeah, I mean, that. It, like, like it makes me think of like the the ever exciting journey of uh, getting getting my kids ready to go to school in the morning, and they're yeah. pretty good at each of the little steps. They just get really distracted between them. So it's almost like to optimize that process, we just have to remove the distractions, and then they'll be fine. Yeah, but but not in a in a sense of you know like abducting people to be like I don't know hook it to the <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, like it's, yeah it's more about you know removing these little nasty things that happen if possible yeah you want you want controlled distract you want to control the distractions and just uh, decide yeah, or, when they come in instead of uh, isolating people from the pleasures yeah, of that exactly. isolation is is not good I mean collaboration is everything but but what we really want to achieve is Okay, help developers get rid of that of those um, small little uh, interruptions that can be avoided from all the team members, from the CI system, from the version control. For I mean, get out of the way. I mean, it's like why it's important for the version control to be fast. It's not because of just the fun of the speed. It's, it's because if you have to wait a minute before you finish a, a commit, then you'll your your brain will start doing something else. You'll go and check email. You'll go and check, I don't know, internet, whatever, because you cannot continue working, right? Mm. I mean, and that's not good. I mean, it's not about people. I mean, people don't get distracted because they want to. I mean, and when they want to do that, that's fine because they need a break. But that's simply removing this, this small, you know, improductive stuff. Yeah, yeah. Or things like that. Yeah. So, so there's two more areas I wanted to ask before we wrap up. One is... Uh, sure. So, so y'all have y'all have both like an on-premise and a cloud public cloud yeah. hosted version of it, and um, like I wonder, like, do you, can you detect any like rhyme or reason, any consistent reason that people choose one of those o- over the other? Like, what are the for 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 yeah. y'all? Like, when do they choose one versus the other, or is it just sort of like? Just depending on how that organization feels, yeah. <laughs> about that. Look, uh, the, we have many different customers. I mean, uh, we have uh, small teams with like two people in the team uh, having licenses, and they normally really prefer the cloud because it's like okay, yeah, no brainer. I mean, and and that sounds supernatural. And then we also have like big corporations. I mean, uh, our biggest customer at this point, they have like three thousand plus licenses. I mean, they have more than three thousand developers. 
uh, working with Plastic SCM on their organization, and they have on-premise servers. Uh, my view, okay, like you see in all the industries, I mean, cloud is the way to go for, for most of them because you get rid of having to take care of servers and configurations and all that. So we see a, a, a consistent and, and solid uh, uh, race or increase there, right? Uh, but of course, there are teams that still prefer to have uh, on-premise servers due to, I don't know, cultural stuff. I wouldn't say security because uh, normally cloud is even more secure because it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> there's people thinking about it, right? I mean, you, you, maybe you can break your server, but you won't probably break Amazon's or something like that, right? But uh, we see a, a big grow on on the on the cloud uh, side of things. So that's definitely the case. The thing is that we, we give you the tools to even have like, okay, you, you may have a cloud server as a primary one, but then you have a couple of sites. And then for speed reasons, to speed up transfer, um, these kind of things, you prefer to add a couple of on-premise servers connected to the cloud, right? But still have this choice. So well, the the main reason of plastic being named this way was to somehow be flexible, although not all plastics are flexible, of course. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and but that's they, just, they just have to get hot enough and then they all become yeah, flexible. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so uh, that's, that, that's basically what we wanted to achieve, right? So providing really flexible tools to, I mean, if you want to work in the cloud, you are fine being there. If you want to work on-premise, you are fine. I mean, one of the things a lot of people do when they are in the cloud is that something we provide out of uh, is that uh, repos are encrypted. So only they have the encryption key. So data uh, goes encrypted when it leaves their network and goes back encrypted and is decrypted there. What I mean is we don't, not even us, have the key to encrypt our decrypt data, right? And that's, I, I would say, 85% of the repos in Plastic Cloud, they are encrypted. Mm. And that's a completely different case to, to what you normally get on, I don't know, Bitbucket or GitHub or something like that because it's a different type of customer, the one we we work with, right, different different type of user. And they are very concerned about security and having this choice of, okay, even if someone goes and breaks into the Azure servers, which is where Plastic Cloud is hosted, uh, okay, still our data is, is completely protected because no one can decrypt it. Okay, mm -hmm. unless they break the encryption algorithm, but that's a little bit more difficult. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then I guess as far as having kind of like... Um you know, a, a, a local sort of proxy repository exactly. and, a, and then a cloud hosted one. If there's anything y'all should be able to do good would be do well is merge those two together. <laughs> right. So, yeah, exactly. so, so exactly. that should work out well. Well, then finally, like, I mean, kind of uh, not going back to, but referring to him again, I remember this is all in the mid 2000s, but I remember when I was talking with Jason last about his tools, like one of the more interesting things. I don't know if it was practical, but it was interesting was he had a lot of his tool suite had a lot of and I shouldn't say he his company, it was more than him, had a lot of reporting tools that were kind of interesting to look at. And uh, so in that area, I mean, what kind of like one, what kind of like reports do y'all have? But two, like, what do you think are good things to report on when it comes to like version control and branches and merges? Like what like what what would you recommend people look at regularly wow that's that's a that's that's a quite a difficult question i mean because you can report a lot of things from version control but uh, i mean and we provide our own i mean we, we provide our own like a query language which is almost equal so you can do things like find branches where owner owner equals pablo and mm. has more than this number of chain sets or stuff like that but the point what i mean 
is that it's very easy to do a lot of reporting, like number of commits created per month, number of branches created per year. When is the time where you do more changes during the day? And But they are more like, a, I wouldn't say vanity metrics, but uh, really like something that is, okay, it's, it's good to know, but it, it's not really a KPI or something that really yeah. helps you drive the, the business. For instance, we run these metrics regularly, and okay, we know that uh, for some reason over the last 14 years, Tuesdays are the day with more check-ins down here. <laughs> right. Not by much, but a little bit higher. But okay, why? We can probably analyze the why, but it is it, not like actionable, right? It's not something you can release to change. So my advice will be, be very careful with the, the, the type of, of, of metrics you you get because the, the standard ones you, you we have been using for years in version control, like numbers of this and that, which are very easy to get also in plastic, uh, are not that actionable. What we are really looking forward into the future is to extract more valuable information from the history. Mm, and, right. and that's something that for us is still in its infancy. We have a lot of plans to do, but still didn't move forward that that uh, that fast. And it's, um, it's about, okay, we have this vision, right? At the end of the day, version control is the container of the entire history of your repo. So there are many, many things you can extract from that, from there, right? Like, for instance, uh, is, the, is this file a hotspot? If this file was involved in a lot of bug fixes, you should be careful the next time you touch it. Or maybe it deserves a refactor, right? This kind of stuff is what we really uh, find. Is yeah, going to yeah that, w- that was exactly like the, the, uh, the thing yeah, I was going to exactly. throw out there is like I always just generically, uh, whatever you want to call it, like change rates or mm-hmm. like churn. I'll yeah. use typically something interesting in any data set. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I would, I would expect that, like you're saying, if there is a, uh, a high rate of change to a piece of code, it's one of the riskier pieces of code just because it changes all the time and it must be important, yeah. or maybe not must, but you would assume it's an important piece of code so it deserves attention. And then similarly, like probably if this code hasn't been changed in like five years, Maybe it's awesome code, <laughs> but every now and then it's probably good to see like is this is this piece of code going to become a new chunk of legacy that yeah. we now are afraid of changing because we exactly. haven't looked at it in a while. Sadly, you you can get some of these metrics today in plastic because it's just about okay, like in any other system, that's nothing special with it right now. Is 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 more like okay, let's get the the file with more changes. Unless sorted by year or something like that, so you each year you get the file with more changes or the top ten or the top hundred or whatever. But our goal, and that's something we'll be working on, hopefully in the next months, is um, combining that with actually semantic information. Yeah. And by semantic, I mean okay, getting rid of the changes that are just a, a reformat or a param. I mean maybe you change a file because uh, a, a a function it's invoke it invokes has been renamed, so the changes super simple so it's not even worth pointing right and uh and really highlighting the changes that are are worth looking into right and 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 uh crossing that with uh, issue tracker information or build system information or even tests and stuff like that there are some systems who already provide you with some of this info like in visual studio you get an overview an, an overlay on every method with some information that these are things we are really looking forward to to work on on a deeper detail. So yes, there are, yeah. there are 
really exciting things to come on that front. Yeah. Well, great. Well, I, I, this has been fun talking about. Now, now I have a, uh, I have a, I have a good beginner's understanding of how version controls <laughs> evolved over the past ten years or so, which uh, I don't know. Maybe one day there'll be version control for what I work on, just like PowerPoints, and that'll be fun to just go through the diffs <laughs> of them. There's, there's a whole other area of. I, I always get frustrated. Not always, but one of the things over the years that I always thought was missing from. Uh, you know, whatever office suite you're using is just much better tracking of changes than is in there. Like there's the, uh, we still use the same, like, I think visual metaphors from the nineties, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and surely there must be something slightly better than just like using green text for an addition and red strike through text for a change. <laughs> like, Absolutely. But, and so, and and then not to mention like when it comes to like, presentations like i don't think there's any version control for that but that would be uh that would be interesting to see but anyways yeah, we, well maybe we just treat them the as binaries at this point but yeah there, there, there will be really a its own area of uh, interest right yeah yeah well if, <laughs> if people wanted to check out plastic or or yourself like well, where should they go to well we have a they can go to plasticscn.com and there they hopefully find a good explanation of what we do if we didn't fail to explain it correctly i hope <laughs> fine right and from there they also have links to our blog or they can follow us on, on twitter at plastic sem and uh well they can always reach us in any of those channels and if they want to reach me personally they can go to uh, at ps luaces you can probably post that together yeah uh, and uh i'll put all this and, stuff in the show notes too exactly. so people don't have to take notes and i'm i'll be always super happy to engage in any conversation about development and of course version control which is my my thing right what yeah yeah and, and also i was i was just remembering at your website there's a uh i don't know i would call it a book but there's a book-like thing just going over not only what plastic does but version control in general and it's uh it's fun because every now and then it gets a little feisty <laughs> it's it's not just like dry documentation uh but, that's true we yeah. are about to publish uh i've been working quite hard i would say in a in a book about plastic and version control, I mean, but really going, I mean, it's not just like a use guide or something or user guide or something like that. It's really explaining the the whys, the motivations, yeah. the best practices, and hopefully it will be out in a few weeks. So yeah, they will be able to find that at, at plasticscn.com too. Yeah, I mean, those are the best like technical IT books are the ones that go over the motions that your fingers should do, like how to use the tools and then also like the, uh, the reasons why you do it and, and, uh, the explanation of it, the why. So I'll have to check that out when it comes out. All right. Thank well, you. well, uh, great. Well, uh, this has been another, uh, software defined interview. If you want to get these show notes, I forget which number this is, but just go to software defined interviews.com and it'll be easy to find. And, uh, you can look up all those various, uh, uh things we were talking about there. But uh, there's all sorts of other interviews that you can find there. And, of course, there's the, the main sort of podcast, Software Defined Talk, which you can look up as well. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye.